The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. John E. Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan debt. I'm so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money, managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you create better financial habits, envision your long-term goals, and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of John E. Sistina and Company are on deck to show you the way. Thank you for joining the Managing to be Wealthy podcast. I'm your new host, Tracy Bennett. Joining me today are certified financial planners, Tony Payne and Spencer Hager. And today we are talking about healthcare and retirement. A lot to cover, but how are you guys doing today? It's nice to see you. I feel fantastic. Everything's great. It's good to see you. Ready for a good discussion, Tony? It's going to be fun. I'm hoping to have a good discussion. Yeah, we have a lot on deck. So uh, basically, we're going to be discussing when you retire, what do you need to be looking at as far as insurance? Uh, many employees rely on employer-sponsored health insurance during their working years. Uh, let's start with that. <clears throat> if you wouldn't, how does employer health insurance typically factor into a retiree's health care plan? Well, how does it factor in? That's usually the first question they're wondering, too, is if I've worked somewhere for, let's say it was 20, 30 years, you might have relied on their coverage that whole time. You've never had to navigate health insurance before, and you might be wondering, can I extend this? Do they offer a retiree benefit? Maybe they give you a little bit of cash to buy your own. So there's a couple different ways you can go about that. If you're somebody who's worked for that employer for a long time, maybe you didn't have to be there a long time. I mean, each employer is a little different. So there's a few things that come into play there. Spencer, uh, I have a specific question about uh, Medicare, and we're going to get to Medicare in a in a full topic, but related to what we're talking about now. Oh, great! Um, what should people consider when they're transitioning from employer based coverage to Medicare or retirement health plans? So you're definitely you're 65. You're Medicare eligible in this question. I would say yes. The answer okay. Is yeah. Yes. Um, I would just say probably the main consideration is just. I always tell people, don't try and do it all yourself. You can go through the whole market of transitioning from employer-provided coverage to Medicare and do it all yourself online. But uh, there are agents you can work with, brokers that are really well-versed in Medicare more than Tony and myself that can walk you through you know, prescription drug coverage, supplemental coverage. I know you said we're going to get into that, but I would just start with trying to find an advisor who can sit down with you, have an hour-long meeting, and really walk you through the ins and the outs. And Tony, not all employers offer employee paid health insurance. Can we talk about what people do in that case? Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely shop around. I mean, whether you have it available to you through a spouse, that may be another option. And if you don't have it available to you through a spouse or through your employer, you've probably been purchasing it somewhere along the way. That's probably the marketplace. And if you purchased it through the marketplace, then you're not really transitioning much, I think, when you retire. You may just have your income change when you're filling things out each time annually, but I don't know that anything underlying would change for you. Now, that'll all change when you hit 65 and then we get into Medicare. Now, can you continue? Can you continue? Uh, can you can, ooh, can you continue <laughs> your coverage, um, your employee covered insurance? Can you continue that into retirement or do you have to obviously stay em- employed? I mean, that's when that. 
the age piece matters so much. You know, usually if you're if you're leaving your employer and you're leaving your employee based coverage at 65, more than likely what I've seen is you're going to just flip over to Medicare. You don't necessarily need to take that employee coverage with you. If you're looking to retire pre 65, which is again for those who don't know, I think I said it currently when you that's the age you have to be to be able to jump onto Medicare. That's when you have to play the game of, do you have the option to take your coverage with you? Most people do. It's called COBRA, depending on how many employees are at the company you're with, but most people have access to it. And then usually that'll cover you for 12 or 18 months. And then again, you have to play the game of, are you retiring close enough to 65 that that's going to get you there? Uh, Or are you going to have to find another alternative? And the last thing I'll say and monologue after this, uh, the COBRA is pretty expensive for most people. So even though you can keep the coverage, you're you're losing the employer kicking in what they're paying for it. And so that's where you may still want to shop it out to see if you want to go with a marketplace plan instead of the COBRA. Does that cover spouses? Yeah, it should. It, so. Even dependents. So if you're, again, if you're reaching retirement and you have any dependents that are under age 18, it should cover them too. Yeah. And actually, it might even be age 26 too. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 26. No, no, no. You're right. No, these are the good things to dive in on. And like you said, to get an expert involved, too, is very helpful. Yeah. The conversation of marketplace overwhelms me as an every person. Um, So let's let's kind of let's talk about income based marketplace first. Tony, you want to take that one? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we know in 2009, there was the Health Care Act, basically making sure that everyone had access to health care. Affordability is a different discussion, but at least access to it. So the idea is through the marketplace, based upon your income, you might be entitled to some sort of subsidy to help you out with that payment. Now, you'd still be responsible for some of the out-of-pockets, things like that. But that's one way to go through or think about the marketplaces. If I don't have access to healthcare elsewhere, I may be able to get on this and perhaps even have a subsidy for it. Yeah. And we talk a lot about open enrollment in our business day to day as far as insurance is concerned. So what are the options for that? And I think we're a little early in the game talking about it, but it's, you know, we're giving people some good plan to, you know, execute here in the next coming months, right? Mm -hmm. Let's explain what open enrollment is first. So they have two different ones, but Medicare is in the next month or two. Yeah, you're right. And then same with if you're doing it on, it depends when we say open enrollment, if you're coming, you left your employer and you're fresh out of no health insurance option, the open enrollment is when you left your employer. It's not like you're out of pocket for eight months and you don't have any access to insurance. But if you've been on a marketplace plan or you switch to one and then it's just a new year, same deal. That's coming up in the next few months. It's slightly different. The Medicare, I think Medicare is a little bit more restrictive with how long, but that's just the time towards the end of the year, you want to sit down with an agent. They're agents for the affordable care market. They're agents for Med- Medicare. Sit down with one of them and uh, and go through your coverage, see what's changed to see if you need to switch plans. And some of the things that may not be the plan changing, it might be your needs changing. Yeah. That was my next question is you don't know what you don't know. So for somebody who's not in the industry and we're not insurance agents, of course, but you know what when you when you're looking at your marketplace insurance specifically and you're ready to to evaluate for the next year how do you know what to ask for are you relying on these people to offer it to you i mean what do you ask for i think if you have a, a good agent hopefully they'll be asking you for a lot of that information which i know a lot of them do my mind always like i'm seeing i think we're seeing it right now with some of these new drugs that are hitting the market when it comes to like diabetes treatment and things like that that was my initial thought was sit down with an agent right away and tell them that because 
if that's something you're relying upon, that could dictate what plan you need to jump to. But hopefully they're asking you those questions. It may not be a thorough sit down. They may send you a questionnaire and say, hey, what's changed over the last year? And I would just put anything on there and they'll they'll shop the plans. Yeah, definitely. This is something we keep mentioning, have an agent, have a broker involved, because you could get online, navigate some of this yourself, think you're doing it. But again, for the same price, usually, because again, the online resources, you're usually paying a commission for as well. They're just paying a commission for the website and being very robotic versus having somebody actually pick up the phone, talk to you, really interview you and help you. So in my mind, if you want to get what you're paying for, it's probably better to use a person or use an expert rather than trying to navigate all of it yourself online. Yeah. So let's jump to health savings accounts. And and I kind of have a, a question, as a, again, as in every person, can you have a health and I'm going to let you explain what those are first, but my question once you do that is, can you have a health savings account when you're in Medicare or is that just simply with employer covered insurance? Spencer, you want to dive into that one? Sure. Uh, you can have one. So first, what is it? Okay. Yeah. So a health savings account, It uh, t- typically you get access to that when you have a high deductible health plan. There are a few requirements that go into that. It's not just purely the deductible. There's a couple other things, but- Through employer. Through employer. Yeah. Um, if you're on the marketplace, you should not have access to one. So if you're doing an ACA plan, the Affordable Care Act, you even if it's a high deductible, you generally don't have access to a health savings account. So it's off the table. If you're on going into Medicare, if you have an old health savings account that you were, again, you all that means is it's an account that you have because of the health insurance plan you're under. You put money into it. Maybe your employer put money into it. It's not a use it or lose it tool. So if you put five grand in one year and you only spend spend one grand, your four grand keeps going with you. And so some people build up, you know, 15, 20, $50,000 health savings accounts that they're bringing into age 65 with them. You generally, if you're not working anymore, you can't continue to put new money into it, but you can still spend from that account with the balance you've accrued over those years. You can't add to it in retirement once you're not employed anymore or when you say you you can't. You... Correct. And you can even run into some penalties if you continue to put money in. So it's a retirement tool sort of. For some people. Yeah. When used creatively or used long-term planning with long-term planning, it definitely is. Yeah. Because like Spencer said, it's not something you have to use it or lose it. So you could be on Medicare later in life and use this thing or even reimburse yourself later on in life for expenses you had previously. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a neat trick right now is Mm -hmm. making sure you're keeping all of your receipts because you might be able to reimburse yourself from your health savings account later on. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a it's a functional tool that you can use in retirement and it and it starts with the employer at the very onset. Usually with the employer, but more importantly, the type of health insurance you have. Yeah. I mean, there are options where you could be an individual and have one of these two and not have it just through an employer. You know, it's the type of insurance that you have that defines whether or not you can qualify for an HSA. So basically, shortly said, or try to keep it short, the higher deductible plans, the more out-of-pocket you pay, but the more likely you are to have an HSA-compliant plan. So it's the high deductible plans you really have to look out for. Gotcha. Oh, you're laughing at me there, Spencer. Gotcha. HSA-compliant plan. Yeah. (laughs) We know. 
some retirees are fortunate to receive subsidies. Um, what does that look like? Financial assistance from their former employers to cover health care costs. How does that work? And what are the essential things that retirees should know when they're kind of relying on this support for their health expenses? Uh, so I take that two different ways, actually, and I'm sure Tony's going to jump in. So when I hear subsidy, I think of you're going on to a marketplace plan. That's what Tony was talking about, where depending on what your taxable income is, depending on how you're funding your lifestyle in those first years in retirement, if you're you know, primarily living off of cash in the bank, you're not paying taxes when you take that money out, you could still you know, be doing okay, able to retire, but then receive a subsidy based on your taxable income on your returns, where you're getting essentially the government covering part of the bill for you. Now, you have to be careful with that because if you get the numbers wrong, you may have to pay some of that back when you file a return, but that's kind of how the subsidy works. It's just what's your income. And there are thresholds you can look up. When I hear employer- Can I interrupt you? Is that a question for a CPA as far as the taxation? That and probably- if you're using a health insurance agent to help you with that, you probably want to run it by both. Okay. Um, when you say employer assistance, I think of you know some private companies will give uh, health insurance reimbursement assistance for retirees. That it's it employer by employer, and then with uh, some state jobs, you know, state if you're under a state pension system, they mm-hmm. may set you up with a, a health reimbursement account, which just means. They're essentially send you up with a stipend. It's a fixed amount. You can use that to cover expenses throughout the year. Again, not really much planning you can do with it other than know what the amount is and take what you can get and use it for the expenses. Gotcha. Did you want to add anything to that? No, those are all important points. I mean, a- along with this too is when you are working, your benefits are a really important part of your overall compensation package. And being able to ask ahead of time, ahead of retirement, What's this going to look like? Do you offer retiree health care? Do you offer a payment, you know, $1,200 a month or something like that to help me buy insurance? That's an important part sometimes to choosing to work somewhere for 20, 30 years. So that's something to keep in mind when you're valuing things. Uh, none, of, none of us like to think about long-term care insurance. This is a subject that we deal with a lot in our business. And sometimes that's a reality many retirees face. Uh, what are some practical steps that people can take, you know, like me now to ensure they're fin- financially prepared uh, for a potential long-term care need? And maybe let's step back a little yeah. bit. Let's talk about what long-term care planning entails. What's it look like? Uh, again, two questions. Uh, it feels like several questions. So long-term care planning doesn't, in my mind, doesn't always jump to insurance. It's, you know, are you in the house you're going to be in for the next 30 years? That's going to be long-term care suitable, right? That you can, if your goal is to stay in the house, is the current house you're in equipped for it, all that fun stuff. Um, as far as how to plan on covering the costs, that's where probably have to just come to grips with, you know, are, are you going to have family members who are able to support you? Is that what you want to happen? If that answer is no, ideally you have someone who's helping you out with your financial plan to tell you if you can afford it. You can always look at insurance quotes just to get a feel for what the costs are, depending on what age you are. They're, the cost can be a little bit shocking the first time, but that's probably the first part is just get your information, get your grips. What are the scenarios where long-term plan would be relevant, Tony? Well, I mean, really, no matter what, if you're going to retire and you're going to keep living, that's in one way a long-term plan or a long-term care plan. Now, you can talk about what's long-term care planning mean 
well, care, that's the difference in there versus a normal retirement, maybe. It's the idea that you've had a stroke, you've had a major health event, you're set back, you're not living that normal planned retirement you were thinking about. So that to me is where it's not the base plan. It's not what you were planning for. It's a curveball. And we all have to know that we can be thrown that curveball. We can work out. We can eat healthy. We can do all that great stuff and still get hit by a bus in the morning. So no matter what, those curveballs are out there. And I think that's important, too, to remember in this. So when we talk long-term care planning, you may not be able to really prepare for every eventuality, but you might be able to be flexible. And that's, I think, one thing we talk about a lot, meaning it's not always just insurance. It might be what kind of house do you live in? Where are the kids? Do you have kids? Are they planning to help you? Have you discussed that? You know, is there an agency that you would want to pick to come help you? These are all the kinds of things I think we talk about when we say, how do you get prepared? What do you do to be ready? There is no perfect scenario because it's always, I got thrown a curveball. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that flexibility because I was going to say that. I feel like the one thing with this entire topic is if you're listening to this and you're not quite yet on the brink of being, you know, going into retirement and dealing with this, the sooner you can look at it, the better. Because like when we're talking about things like subsidies or whatever it is, there are proactive ways you can plan for it 10 years in advance based on what we currently know. It becomes a lot more reactionary and just your options are limited when you're 64, you're retiring in three months or you're 16 retiring in three months. And now we're trying to play catch up on what options do you have? That's why it's helpful to start early. Yeah, good idea. And I, as I recall in a former, in my former professional life, long-term <laughs> care insurance was covered uh, by my employer. Is that something that's that's typical? And is that something people should rely on? It's not, but it's becoming more and more prevalent. And we're seeing where the prices through employers are actually sometimes pretty attractive. I mean, it's the idea of a group benefit or pooling resources. So compared to even a few years ago where these policies, you kept seeing the premium increase dramatically year after year because these companies didn't price in, people were going to use it and people were going to keep it. You know, they had a lapse rate, they call it. But the idea of how many people are not going to pay their premium? Because for the insurance company, that's basically free money. They collected a premium for a promise they never had to deliver on. Well, if you kept your contract and you actually made a claim, it messed up their math. And that's part of the reason why they kept changing these premiums for so long. And now it seems like they might have finally caught up and they they might be pricing that lapse rate accurately. All right. I'll ask. I have not seen much of the post you leaving your employer and taking the long-term care coverage with you. Have you seen much of that? Yeah, what you're talking about is portability. Right. But yeah, there are a few now that I've seen where it's actually portable, which is really cool. Have the premiums readjusted with that? They haven't, not that I've seen yet. All right, all right. I mean, I know every case is going to be a little different, but the idea is if you have it offered through your employer and you sign up for it and you leave your employer, you might be able to continue it at a decent rate. Mm. Right. Which, you know, it's neat to have these options. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. It's not that everybody needs a policy, but if you're somebody that perhaps you've gone through that list of where are my options, you came up a little dry, that might mean you need a policy. Yeah. Okay. We talked about employer-based and marketplace insurance, I think, pretty well. Let's get into Medicare. Um, age 65, you know, you're now faced with your health care costs. But you actually should approach that a little bit before 65, right? Is there paperwork that needs to be done? 
uh, prior to your birth date that year? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, again, I'm regurgitating information that's been told to me from the experts and the brokers and the agents. But generally, I believe it's about four months in advance. Okay. It's similar to Social Security. You don't want to wait until 15 days before you turn 67 or 66 to call and file. So usually want to do it a few months in advance to give yourself time to to get set up. Parts A, B, C, and D. Let's explain to people what that is and how, how it works in with the Medicare puzzle. Well, there's a letter soup there. <laughs> and I will save you unless you're a visual person. Or I think as I'm a visual person here, we'll get that chart up here. That's one of the things we'll be able to share here in the future. But the idea is each one of these is a little different. And the key is when you are choosing your plan, there's going to be out of pockets for each of them. There's going to be coverage, basically not in network, but are they a Medicare provider? Because that's your network now is, is someone a Medicare provider? Yeah. So, so long as you're navigating within the network and you're navigating what are your out of pockets each year, that's where I would lead you. And of course, working with the expert because A, B, C, and D each, whether it's hospital, whether it's the drugs, whether it's the actual physician part, or even it's a supplemental plan. I mean, you can really get into the weeds with these and we will later. We're actually, I think, planning to have a guest here who that's all they do is this kind of stuff. So they'll be able to really break down the letter soup for us. Do people typically have Medicare plus one supplemental part or do they have more than one? That's something that I've always been confused by. It, it is a great topic, I think, for our expert. But my opinion on it is when you think about having four or five types of insurance or levels of insurance, it's not always as great as it sounds. Sometimes you're paying for insurance that's never going to give you a benefit. You might never get anything out of it. So sometimes it is better to say, do I really need this secondary policy or insurance? It might make you feel good to have it in your wallet and carrying that second card or third or fourth, but you might wonder, do I really need this? And it's the expert who can answer that. So let's talk a little bit about gap insurance plans. What does that mean to the to the average person? Well, really, we're talking the donut hole almost. I mean, I guess that's the other way to say it. But when you're on Medicare, there's so many things that are going to be covered by your insurance that are covered that you don't have to come out of pocket. But then there's other things you're going to have to pay out of pocket. Yeah. And I guess there's no better way to say that because when you're a senior, especially if you're living on a fixed income, those surprises can be meaningful. And that's something to be aware of is, will I have this gap or this donut hole and how do I cover it? Mm -hmm. Some of the supplemental plans even help you cover it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't see, I have not seen in my personal experience a whole lot of gap insurance implementation. So I think I agree. I think that'd be a good co uh, conversation for the agent who's coming in to talk about it because I just have not seen it. I'm much more familiar with you know, those supplemental Medicare Advantage or Medigap plans, the Part D for prescription drugs, those two. Well, it's definitely a puzzle and there's a lot of intricacies to it. As uh, Tony mentioned, we will have an expert here uh, soon to dig deeper into the subject. So make sure you stay tuned. Um, thanks for joining us today. I think this was a good discussion, at least on a preliminary basis. And uh, give us a call if you would like to take a complimentary consultation with one of our certified financial planners and maybe kind of dig into your baseline to see if you might need some help with these issues. We appreciate you joining us and we hope you'll come back. We are managing to be wealthy. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Managing to be Wealthy podcast. We help you make the most of your money without any hidden fees or commissions. Remember, the best investment you can make is in yourself and your financial future. 
Keep listening for more expert advice and tips. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. To schedule a one-hour complimentary consultation to discuss your financial concerns, visit our website, managingtobewealthy.com.